Greetings. Uh, as we continue with our series on Jeremiah, I want to start by reading some verses from Jeremiah chapter 2 and chapter 10. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets, they say to wood, you are my father, and to stone, you gave me birth. They have turned their backs to me and not their faces. Yet when they are in trouble, they say, come and save us. Where then are the gods you made for yourselves? Let them come if they can save you when you are in trouble. For you, Judah, have as many gods as you have towns. And then from chapter 10, listen. The reports is coming, a great commotion from the land of the north, and it will make the towns of Judah desolate. So friends, we, we continue with our series on Jeremiah. Um, again, I encourage you to go and read this book if you've not yet done so. It's a challenging, disturbing at times, and a really difficult book to read, but it holds for us today a message that I believe calls us to consider in what or in who our faith really lies. And it's ultimately a call to us to surrender again our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, asking the Holy Spirit to ignite again the flame of that first love in our hearts for God the Father. So, just a reminder, Jeremiah lived and prophesied between 627 and 584 BC, and during that time he had one consistent message that if you don't turn back to God, terrible things are coming. God helped him to see that an empire, the Babylonians, would come from the north and enslave the Israelites and destroy their nation. His message was a message of warning to the people that God would, would withdraw his hand from them unless they turned back to him. Now, he preached this message for about 40 years, but the people refused to listen. Instead, they mocked him, beat him, and imprisoned him. So towards the end of his ministry, his message actually kind of uh, just changed a little bit in the sense that it was, well, listen, this is coming, get ready for it. So we want to read and understand Jeremiah in its historical context and ask, what can we learn? What would God's message be for us today in our lives and our context? Now, again, I've prepared some readings and questions for you to engage with, to help you engage with this book of Jeremiah and help equip you for your journey uh, and for your context. You will find this link on our website and I think on the YouTube page that you, uh, where you're watching this video right now, you'll find the link as well. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to watch it as I do give a bit of historical context to the book of, to the book of Jeremiah, which will help you understand the setting and context of this book and its message, of course. Now today we will look at a bit of history again. 
uh, but we will do it by looking at the genealogy of King Josiah and then ask the question, what is God's message for us today? Now, friends, you might remember from last week that as Jeremiah begins his ministry, it is the time where the Assyrian Empire is about to end and the new Babylonian Empire comes to the fore and would dominate then eventually that region for many years, taking eventually into slavery the people of Israel and the kingdom of Judah would cease to exist for about 50 years, just as Jeremiah had seen in his dreams and tried to warn the people about. Now, right now, I'm going to stick up, I'm going to ask the team to stick up a diagram for us. So have a look at this diagram. It's of the last seven kings of Judah. And let's have a look at them to further help us understand the historical context of that time. Right, have you got it on your screen? Here's the diagram. Let's have a look at it. So first we have King Manasseh. Now, he ruled from 697 to 642. Uh, Jeremiah had just been born when Manasseh had died. Manasseh is going to have an impact on everything that is going to happen till the downfall of the kingdom of Judah. This is what the Bible, in fact, tells us about King Manasseh in 2 Kings chapter 21. Let me read a few verses for you so you can understand what King Manasseh was like. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He erected altars to Baal, made a sacred pole. He worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them as well. He built altars in the house of the Lord. He made his firstborn son pass through the fire, which means he sacrificed, he sacrificed his firstborn son alive to, to the god Moloch. He dealt with mediums and wizards. The carved image of Asra, the female goddess of fertility, that he had made, he set in the house of the Lord. Moreover, the Bible says, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood until he filled Jerusalem from one end to another. So this king reigns over Judah for about 55 years and he leads the people away from God and adopts ancient Near Eastern gods. Let's go back to the diagram. Then his son Ammon reigned for two years before he was assassinated by somebody in his court and he too did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. We then have, if you look at the diagram, we then have Josiah now, he turned back to God. He was a good king. At the age of 16, he rededicated his life to God and committed the people to a process of reform. Now, he ruled from about 640 to 609. And he was eventually killed by the Egyptians in battle. His son, Jehoaz, was on the throne, but he went back to the practice of the evil king of Manasseh. But the Egyptians came, arrested him, and took him back to Egypt. And eventually, the Egyptians installed Joachim, as king, and now he ruled for 11 years from 609 to 598, but he too was an evil king and turned away from God. He also enslaved his own people to build himself beautiful palaces. And when he died, his son Joachim became king for about three months. He rebelled against the Babylonians, they attacked, took him into slavery to Babylon, and the Babylonians installed Zedekiah as king. Now Zedekiah ruled for about 11 years, but he also turned his back on God following King Manasseh's tradition. So most of Jeremiah's prophecies takes place during the rule of Zedekiah. Jeremiah pleads with Zedekiah to return to God, but he would not, 
and the kingdom was destroyed and Zedekiah was carried away into slavery by Nebuchadnezzar uh, into Babylon 587 BC. So now you very quickly in two minutes have had a history lesson of 40 years of very important Old Testament history. Take a deep breath and uh, I hope you're still with me. Let's just talk a little bit about the sins of King Manasseh. Just to help us understand, there were two primary main gods in the ancient Near Eastern world at that time. They had different names in different areas, uh, but essentially they were the same two gods. The first is the goddess Asherah. And here's a picture for you. Have a look. Now, she was the goddess of fertility. And uh, in this picture, you would see a small terracotta, stone or wood uh, figurine, uh, something like this that you see in the picture would be placed in a home and people would pray to her. Now Manasseh worshipped her and the belief was that if she was worshipped correctly, um, then, she, then they would have children, they would have more livestock, their livestock would multiply, more goats and sheep and so on, and also uh, that she would bless their fields. Now worship of Asherah involved making sacrifices, but also the practice of temple prostitutes involving sexual practices. The second ancient Eastern god worshipped at that time was the god Baal. He was the god of storms and rain and thunder. Now, this is an arid area and rain was very important for crops to grow and so on. You can well imagine. Here's a picture of what he may have looked like or how people saw him. Now, in archaeological terms, whenever you see a figurine of ancient Eastern gods with the arm up like you see in this picture, then you know it is Baal. Uh, because he is supposedly throwing down lightning bolts down to earth. There was another name for Baal, and it was Molech. Molech was a god that demanded sacrifices during this time of difficulty. That was the most valuable to you that needed to have been sacrificed, and that meant your firstborn child. Now, in fact, just outside Jerusalem, in the south, just south of Jerusalem, is a place called Gehenna. And it's here uh, that they built an idol to Moloch and where the firstborn children were sacrificed. So this is where Manasseh brought his firstborn to be sacrificed to, Mo to Moloch. What they would do is they would make a fire inside the idol, the hands would get red hot, and the children would be placed, you can imagine, with beating drums onto the hands of this idol. And as uh, the beating drums would get louder and louder and louder, um, so you, that you wouldn't hear the screams of the children being sacrificed at the altar of Molech. Now God uses Jeremiah to speak to the people and say, what is this horrifically evil thing that you are doing? Burning your children alive. How could you do such terrible things? My friends, I want you to get a sense as you read the book of Jeremiah, the sense of the evil that was going on in the land at that time and how terribly it hurt God. God was hurt by this. And this is why he instructed Jeremiah to tell the people to stop this evil and to remind them that God Almighty will deliver them if they will put their trust in him. We understand the kind of relationship that God wanted with his people. We see this beautiful imagery of God as a parent that dearly loves his people as children and a, and a father, a parent, uh, deeply caring for his people as children. But instead, the picture we get in Jeremiah is God's people behaving like rebellious teenagers, constantly turning, turning away from God and focusing on things that weren't real. In Jeremiah, we also have another picture 
uh, of the relationship between God and his people. And that is a picture of a husband and a bride. Jeremiah, in essence, saying that God has entered into a marriage covenant with us, set us apart as God's bride, his people, wanting faithfulness from his people. And the image and the message is of God, uh, sorry, is of Israel being unfaithful in this relationship. Sleeping around is some of the imagery we get in Jeremiah. And we see God agonizing over a people that have abandoned him, unfaithful to him, have forgotten him. My people have forgotten me, uh, forgotten me, and I uh, have loved them perfectly and tenderly. Why have they deserted me? Now, what does all of this have to do with us, with you and me, today, thousands of years later? I mean, we don't worship Baal and Astra, and we, we don't offer our children as sacrifices, do we? The message today is about idols. And God says that they are like cracked water cisterns that hold no water. It's a beautiful picture that God gives us. Water cisterns hold so much promise, don't they? Life-giving promise. But idols are, God says, like cracked water cisterns. They hold no water. They promise much, but they cannot deliver. What a beautiful picture. Those things that tempt us to place them in a position of importance in our lives because they promise so much to give us happiness and joy. Money will make you happy. A good job will give your life meaning. But like a cracked water cistern, they can't deliver on their promise. And God says, why have you exchanged me, your creator and the true source of life, for these things that cannot deliver on what they promise? Come back to me and I will give you life. I mean, after the children of Israel came back from exile in Babylon, they never, in fact, again worshipped Baal and Asherah because they realized that these gods are false gods. They did not save us. They did not answer our prayers. And they never went back to Baal and Asherah. But they did continue to struggle with idolatry. You know, with things that were made by their own hands. And they began to think of as and give them utmost importance in their lives. These were the things that they thought about and thought about all the time and actually worshipped and weren't even aware, but ended up sacrificing their children to these things as well. And those things the people of Israel struggled with after the exile do look a great deal like things you and I are familiar with. You know, the things we put first in our lives, the things we give priority to, the, the things that we think will save us, give us meaning and peace and fulfillment and purpose. And in the end, like these ancient Israelites, we find that these things can't save us. In fact, they only take life from us. How do you struggle with idolatry in your life? You know, the things that you have placed in a position of utmost importance in your in your life, things that have the greatest meaning in your life and occupy most of your time and resources, the things that we have a tendency to allow to become more important than God in our lives. I love what God says in Jeremiah 2. We have dug our own cisterns, but they are broken cisterns and they hold no water. You know, I do, my friends. I, I struggle with idolatry in my life. You know, and I suspect that most of us do. Things other than God that begin 
to become far more important to us than God, occupying our thoughts and our resources and our energy, and God get pushed to the side. Maybe your idol is knowledge, focusing so much on putting things in your mind that you forget about the God who gave you a brain. (laughs) Perhaps it is living for the approval of others, laying aside our values just so that people would approve of us. Self-image. It doesn't matter if I miss my morning devotion, but let me not miss my gym session. Some of the things we struggle with. (laughs) What are your idols? What are my idols? What are the things that I'm tempted to give my heart to and put my trust in for my security, safety, and for the meaning of life and to find happiness? The message of Jeremiah is that these things will not be able to satisfy. These old sins of Israel, they're still around today. Is God today, like he tried with the Israelites during the time of Jeremiah, trying to call you and me, trying to call us, this generation, back to him, back to our first love? My friends, I think that is exactly what God is trying to do during this time that we find ourselves in. God is trying to get our attention and to call us back to our first love. I pray that you will hear the Holy Spirit's voice and pay attention and seriously ask the question, God, what things have I allowed to creep into my life that have become more important than you? My friends, I encourage you to uh, download the link, the material, the resource material that I've prepared for you on our website and on this uh, YouTube channel and uh, engage with the material and wrestle with those questions uh, by yourself or with your family, with your friends. uh, And I pray that it'll be meaningful and helpful for you. God bless you. Have a great week.